Hi, everyone. It's Scott, host of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast and executive director of Empower Ed. Welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to share this first episode of the new year with you on vicarious trauma and educator wellness. Vicarious trauma is a term therapists have long used to describe how they empathetically pick up on the effects of trauma during their sessions with clients. But lately, we've been hearing this term used more with educators. School staff members are recognizing how they have absorbed trauma from their students, which has only increased through the pandemic during their daily interactions. And unlike therapists, educators are not trained to recognize or care for themselves within a cycle of vicarious trauma. For this, we were really grateful to speak with Dr. Perry Camp, a longtime mental health professional with in-depth experience in schools, and Mr. Antoine Harris, a licensed social worker who currently works with students and staff at Garnett Patterson Stay in Washington, D.C. They have so much experience navigating vicarious trauma in their own lives, as well as counseling educators to recognize the symptoms for themselves. During our conversation, we discussed why educators are prone to picking up other people's traumas, especially in this pandemic era, how to recognize vicarious trauma and the self-care educators can practice to help themselves if they see symptoms, the trauma-informed policies and procedures schools can have in place to help educators take care of themselves and more. We hope this episode inspires a more open conversation about the vicarious trauma people experience in schools so educators can get the support they need. As always, please let us know if you have any questions or comments about this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome, everyone. We are back on the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast, and we are very delighted today to have two amazing educators and in-school behavioral health clinicians to be with us to talk about vicarious trauma in schools, a really, really important and timely topic. And so we're really excited to have both of you here and excited to have you introduce yourselves to our audience. Well, good afternoon. My name is Perry Camp. I'm a school psychologist and the owner of the Bodhi Tree Wellness Center, where we focus on a holistic approach to dealing with uh, vicarious trauma experienced by educators and mental health providers, as well as our first responders, paramedics, nurses, and hospital residents. Good afternoon. My name is Antoine Harris. I am a native Barsetonian, a DCPS graduate, a licensed independent clinical social worker, and I'm currently serving as a school bo- school-based clinician at Garnett Patterson Stay. My primary roles and responsibilities is working with students and staff regarding emotional wellness and providing mental health services. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Tell us more about why you do the work that you do. What drew you to wanting to focus on the the well-being of people in schools? Can we start with you, Dr. Camp? Um, Yeah, sure. Well, where do I start? At the beginning of our careers, when we're in our training programs, one of the things that they always tell us is part of your supervision is to get the the support to help you process through a lot of your cases, the emotional content of your cases, the daily trauma that we experience as mental health providers. That's not ours, but the clients that we service, the students. Right. And so 20 years of practice during the pandemic, I realized I had compartmentalized a lot of my cases. And unfortunately, the, the drawback to what we do, Mr. Harris and myself, we don't get to see how our cases end. We get the children when they're in crisis. And what we do, we stabilize. We hear the story. 
we develop a plan of treatment, we stabilize the child or the student, and then they matriculate on, they move on to the next phase of their life. We don't get closure, (laughs) unfortunately. But when we listen to the stories, what we're not really aware of, we take on the emotional content of what's being discussed, right? And I remember when I was going through my internship, uh, one of my supervisors said, clients are like garbage trucks. They come in, they dump their content in your lap, and then at the end of the session, they say, hey, I feel a lot better now. Thank you for talking to me. And they go on about their way. But what you're feeling is the emotional weight of what was left behind, right? And when we compartmentalize it, we kind of put these issues on the shelf and we say, hey, we're going to come back to it to find resolution. But we we need to stay cognizant that this information is energy, right? Somebody just transferred this energy from themselves to you. You're now holding on this energy. And it becomes an emotional weight or emotional burden. And you really have to discharge this energy back out into the universe, right? And when we don't do that, we walk around with this secondary trauma, the story, the narrative, trying to find resolution. But it's not our resolution to find, it's our client. And this is where we get into uh, a construct in counseling called transference or countertransference. When somebody transfers their psychic energy onto you, and countertransference is when you transfer your psychic energy back onto them. So sometimes when we listen to the stories of our students, we may (laughs) over-identify, especially if you work in elementary school. You see the little kid in you in them. Mm. Or if you're dealing with some of your unresolved issues, you start to empathize. And one thing as educators, we're, we're really these big empaths, right? We feel everything. Yeah. yeah. And we feel everything, we receive everything. And then we compartmentalize it if we don't release it. So as uh, providers, I'm starting to realize how important for us to discharge this energy, for us to more effectively show up in our higher selves to serve purpose, to do our job. Thank you so much for sharing. That was powerful. Mr. Harris, yeah, what do you think when you listen to all of that? How does that fit into your journey of being a support person in schools? I think Dr. Camp said it extremely eloquently, like there is a discharge of energy. I can give you the textbook example of vicarious trauma. According to the American Counseling Association, vicarious trauma is the emotional residual of exposure to traumatic stories and experiences of others through work. Witnessing fear, pain, and terror that others have experienced. And it also can lead to a preoccupation with horrific stories told to the professional. So I think what we're talking about here is vicarious trauma. I want to make sure that we're just naming that. And it's not Mm -hmm. something that I've heard talked about. Like I think five years ago, I know that that was in a textbook somewhere, but now it's like when we go to schools, we're hearing it from everyone of just like their people are affected by what has happened and the grief and the loss and and the community violence. So why do you all think that this is happening right now? Why are we hearing about this term more? Let's go to you first, Mr. Harris. I think... One of the major reasons why you're hearing it is due to the COVID pandemic. Um, I think that students, after being at home for so long, did come back differently. 
And I think that the schools are really, and mental health professionals are really realizing the impact that COVID had towards our children's development and how it also impacted educators. So I think that vicarious trauma is being talked about more frequently, partly due to the global health pandemic that we experienced several years ago. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with Mr. Harris. During the pandemic, I, I saw the pandemic as a big reset, right? It, it gave us an opportunity to evaluate life through a different lens. Everything became magnified, right? During the pandemic, we really saw what was wrong with everything. Prior to the pandemic and going into the pandemic, you have to keep in mind that a lot of people were already at risk emotionally going into the pandemic. I know when I saw the pandemic come, I said, oh, great, I get a break. <laughs> I was burned out. And but that was that, that 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 was an important issue that surfaced during the pandemic, how stretched and how burnt out educators were going into the pandemic. And what should have been easier was about five times as more difficult. Right. Teachers got an opportunity to go into their students' homes for the first time, right? I think there was this one situation we had where this kid had skipped school for the first nine years, right? But during the pandemic, he had a 100% attendance record because the father was standing over him with the belt and making him participate. But what we saw was we started taking on the trauma that we were seeing that our children, the students were experiencing, right? Students were not untouched. A lot of them were facing deaths. Teachers and educators were facing death, loss and grievance. The job didn't get any easier. It actually got more difficult. And then what we saw was this mass accident out of education. A lot of individuals decided to either go on to take retirement, to take early retirement, or to restructure this thing totally differently and they became florists. (laughs) You went into a totally different industry. Yeah. But it goes to show you where people's mental and emotional stability and functioning was at this, at this time. No, it's true. And some people, like you said, like wanted to run away from it in some ways. It was like, I need a totally fresh start because I've experienced so much of this. And, you know, for mental health professionals, this is your job. And it, it got certainly more intense through the pandemic, but educators, I think we're not classroom teachers, not as used to taking on as much of it as they have for the past few years. If you're thinking about, I know both of you have had to certainly mentor, consult other teachers about what they are experiencing, getting from, from their students. What are the signs of it? What are the symptoms? Like how can educators recognize that they have vicarious trauma, that that's, that's what they're living through? Dr. Camp? I guess one sign, right? Do you have anxiety Sunday evenings around two o'clock? Mm. Right. Now you get into this pattern of avoidance. Do you have this hyper arousal state? Right. Are you sensitive to bad news? Right. Do you have this sense of irritability? Insomnia. Do you have irregular sleep patterns? Do you sense your wellness is falling off? Right. But the biggest factor is. Are you highly emotional, right? Because that means you're going to be susceptible to what you experience and what you witness. Because one thing that protects us from trauma is resilient factors and protective factors. 
right? Internally, what are you made of? What grit do you have that's going to protect you from the stories that you've heard? Do you have good emotional boundaries, right? Can you let the story just be the story? Now, for me, I, I went through an internship at Children's Hospital in their pediatric neural unit. It was supposed to be a year-long internship. I made it six months. <laughs> because when you get to that state, it's the series of the series, the most low-incident cases that you have. And a lot of those kids were uh, terminal. And one time I had this young lady come in, and she was this nicest little girl. And she was terminal, but we weren't supposed to tell her. And so I went on evaluating this little girl and everything she did was the cutest thing ever. She was the nicest thing. And it was tearing me up on the inside. I'm trying to hold back these tears because I know something she doesn't. Right. And I remember going home from work that day and me and God had a powwow in the car. <laughs> Why are you going to take her and then leave the bad guy? Right? Yeah. People like her makes the world better. But I had to process through that content. And when we talk about resiliency factors and protective factors, how well are you able to process through conflicts? Deal with the underlying feeling. Don't give yourself permission to become the emotion and the release and let go. But if you stay in this process of where you just process and process and process and processing, what's going to happen is you're going to get into this hamster wheel of the PTSD trauma cycle. It's this hamster wheel where you're just going around and around and around, and then you maintain this hyper state of arousal. Yeah, and this is so much for any human being to deal with. And in particular, I think this is not what teachers are trained for, you know, or it's it's something that the skills that can be taught, but they're not really skills that are taught, right, to most of us, and including those who are working in schools. Mr. Harris, how do you notice it um, showing up? I kind of wanted to piggyback off what Dr. Camp said. Vicarious, some of the symptoms of vicarious trauma can be feeling just emotionally numb, like just completely disconnected, excessive worrying, problems with your relationship, social isolation, increased irritability, destructive coping behaviors, kind of self-soothing, self-medicating, excessive drinking, excessive eating, things of that nature, just fatigue, not being able to sleep or just sleeping too much, hyposomnia or hypersomnia, weakened immune system, also physical pain. A vicarious trauma can impact you both uh, biologically, psychologically, and there are major social implications. Kind of what Dr. Camp said, I completely agree with, is that Vicarious trauma can have you having very similar symptoms of PTSD or acute stress disorder. They're very similar symptoms, that avoidance, that hypervigilant, that hyperarousal. So again, vicarious trauma is definitely a, a major issue and can impact you both in the short term and does have negative long-term implications if you aren't able to catch it and really work through some of those issues that led to it. Yeah, that's so important to name all of that. And it makes me think about coaching individuals on their self-care and their wellness about how judgmental we can be of ourselves sometimes. So when we are like, man, I'm just like so angry. Why can't I control my emotions better? Like, why am I having such a hard time sleeping? I should make better food choices. And the internal programming we have around just feeling like we're not doing our self-care well enough. But if we were to say like, wow, 
I am feeling all of these things and to stop for a second and be like, what is happening around me? Like sometimes, even though it seems so obvious from the outside to be like something really hard just happened. And now I'm having all these kind of self-care issues. It can be really hard to like start to connect the dots between those. And I think it's really important to be able to have conversations openly about this, to be like, Oh, you're experiencing that. I'm experiencing that. And like, cause we're all in the culture together And it makes me think too about, I know we're um, partnered with Garnett Patterson Stay right now, and you all have really just gone through it this year with a few losses of of students. And I know that that's been a lot. So how are people taking care of themselves right now? Like, how do you notice that the people are finding that resiliency? Thank you so much, Racing, and and thank you for the work that Empower Ed has done um, with the Garnett Patterson Stay family. Some of the things that we're doing and really implementing is and recommending and encouraging staff to do is setting personal boundaries. It's okay to not check an email when you get off. I promise you that email can be answered tomorrow morning. Encouraging staff to eat a healthy, balanced diet because when we're stressed, we kind of go to the more high caloric foods and the foods that make us feel good. So just really encouraging staff to stay hydrated and eating a balanced diet. Also, doing small groups like like aromatherapy, just ha- encouraging people to maybe stop past the clinician's office just to just Using grounding techniques such as aromatherapy, that's one of the tools that we're using right now. Also, one thing that I do with the staff here is have them be mindful of what their daily routine is. Because if you're coming into a school where there's been a lot of vicarious trauma due to many different incidents, they're they're leaving work, they're they're coming home watching the news, which can be stressful in itself. So just encouraging staff to be mindful of their social media consumption. I think that has been really helpful for staff. And just letting each other know that we're available for one another. Because too often, I feel educators are extremely tough. And too often, they feel like they're going through things alone. And when you kind of open the lines of communication and say, hey, I'm going, I'm experiencing this too. And this loss was really tough for me, or this situation was very challenging for me. People tend to kind of open up as well. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Gamp, what would you add to that list of when an adult can start to recognize, like, I think this is like PTSD that I'm experiencing. How do you take care of yourself? So going back to Mr. Harris, I I definitely believe several things have to take place. One of them, I believe there's a prerequisite to self-help and self-care, right? And one of those prerequisites that I do, and I run this workshop on self-love, right? And it's not a cliche. I do a lot of research on emotional intelligence and heart intelligence, right? And heart intelligence is probably more important than your overall IQ, your cognitive IQ. And what heart intelligence is, it looks at several things. It looks at your ability to love yourself, right? Your ability to communicate, your ability to engage in self-care practices, your ability to empathize, your ability to love yourself unconditionally, right? These things have to be in place first before you could go down this road called self-healing, right? Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to discover some things about yourself in a situation and you're going to beat yourself up. And that's counterintuitive, right? 
whatever you find on the other end of this journey, you're going to have to embrace and love it because it's who you are. It's your journey, right? Second thing is in the healing and recovery stage, you have to repurpose yourself, right? And the story of Osiris, right? His brother set dismembered him and cut him up in pieces and spread him all over the world, right? His wife, Osiris, helped him in his healing process because she went around the world and she collected all of the pieces and she remembered him. But the point of the story is you going through as educators, empaths, we really got to look at ourselves as empaths. What we do, we provide a service, a caring service to others. We give from ourselves, right? And to give to somebody, your cup has to run over, right? You give of excess. But what happens when I talked about risk factors, going into a crisis or going into trauma, if you go into that tri- crisis or trauma at an emotional deficit, you really have nothing to give to anybody, not even yourself. You're running on reserves. And I found myself doing that, coming to work, and I had all this family stuff going on, but I wasn't present. And it goes back to what Mr. Harris was alluding to, this mindfulness of being present in the moment, but you have to be whole and healthy. So what is part of this remembrance process? Remembering purpose. What is your purpose? Why are you there? Your your job, as my supervisor at Children's Hospital told me, she said, you're just a stone in a big pond. You're only a blip in time for this kid. You're supposed to give refuge and comfort. That's your only purpose. You're supposed to hand this kid off from one point to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to emotionally disinvest yourself to stay objective and clarify. In other words, you have to cut these emotional cords, these emotional attachments. Understanding that now you're over-identifying, you're, you're becoming overly emotionally attached. And if you look at the DSM-4, the cornerstone to pretty much all mental health disorders will be fear. You always find fear at the cornerstone of all mental health disorders. But the second cause to most mental health disorders is attachment, uh, unhealthy attachment to something. Yeah. And so what you do, you spend your time trying to cut these attachment cords, right? We think about separation anxiety. What is that? That's an attachment issue, right? Alcoholism, that's an attachment issue, right? So you're now lessening, lessening your attachment to the emotional connection of someone else's narrative. have your own narrative they have theirs it's everything you're saying is so important and i relate so much to it that it, it it's like feels a little paradoxical to be like first you have to start being more compassionate for yourself and paying attention more to yourself and feeling your feelings more and as you do that you have to start detaching from other people's feelings that you're there for them you believe in them but you're not gonna like go down into the very very depths with them because you won't be able to come back up and keep doing the work that you're doing and i think it is hard because many people who are drawn to support roles and being a helper we are very empathic and we have big hearts and we really we want to save everyone around us and i think it's a it's a really important lesson for healers to go on to, to learn how to heal themselves 
and really like, and I think as we learn how to do that and get the support that we need and get the self-care that we need to find that inner resiliency, I think it really, we, we model for a whole new way for other people. So when people, we're not trying to go save them, but we're showing them how to save themselves. And I just feel like it sets off this chain reaction, which is so much more powerful, but it's really deep, hard, emotional work to learn how to set those boundaries. I'll say that from experience too. Yeah. And, and part of this is like, these are all the things that individuals that we can do that we have to do when we're in these positions, but, but there's also a system out there that doesn't support it sometimes. And so I want to kind of bring us to a close of thinking about those big factors, which is like, what, what is it that schools can be doing? What policies and procedures should schools have? What about our education system to help people take care of themselves? Because we have a system that can build on that stress rather than help alleviate it a lot of times. So what are those things that the system can be doing? Um, And we'll start with Mr. Harris. Yes. Thank you so much, Scott. That's a great question. The first thing that really comes to my head is letting educators know that it's okay to not be okay. Normalizing mental health. I think that that is something that me as a new clinician learned very early on mental health in education is kind of like night and day. So I think one of the major things that you can do to really look at things from a institutional kind of structure thing, it would be creating more quality mental health training. And again, letting educators know that it's okay to not be okay. Also, allowing staff to have mental health days. Again, we handle a lot. We we take in a lot. We sometimes leave the building very heavy. So there is times where we won't be able to come into the building and really do our jobs the way that we are paid to do our jobs. So it should be okay and it should not be frowned upon for educators to take a day off for wellness. Also, there needs to be money behind wellness. I think that equitable funding for staff wellness needs to occur because the reality is if you don't spend money for staff wellness, turnover cost. So you're going to have to pay one way or another. Um, I think the district currently is losing lots of educators and, and great service providers due to vicarious trauma and not being able to really be their authentic self and to really practice the self-care that they would like to under the school system. Also support groups, um, creating more support groups and creating more groups such as Empower Ed that really focuses and tackles and meets vicarious trauma and some of the challenges that educators face on a daily basis head on and try to really advocate for schools to make these, you know, needed changes um, that help both educators and it trickles down to our students as well. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Dr. King? Yeah, I I like what Mr. Harris said. Letting educators know it's all right not to be all right. (laughs) Normalize it. And it's not an illness. It's more of a state of being, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're not going to, you weren't born in this state and you're not going to leave in this state, right? You're just going through this a passing, passing of time. First thing, big shout out to all my teachers, right? What's one thing that could happen? Definitely, I think a lot of the workload needs to be removed from the teachers to free them up emotionally to 
more effectively address some of the emotional issues that are now presenting themselves in the classroom setting, right? In 1940, 45, right? The top three reasons why a child was sent to the principal's office, right? One was chewing gum in class. That was the first one. Second one was talking in line. I don't know. Kids, we used to have to line up. And the third one was, I don't know, running down a hall or something like that. Now, when you look at the top three reasons why a child is suspended or sent to the office is bringing a weapon to school, fighting, or drugs or something like that, right? The point of me saying this, the changing face of education in today's time, there's a lot being asked of and required of teachers. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the emotional availability. They're spent, all right? So when I do these psychological evaluations, I hesitate giving teachers recommendations because I already know their their plate is full. Yeah, yeah. And so one thing about empaths, right? And I'm not, I'm an empath, so I'm not talking bad about empaths. Empaths, our priorities are messed up, right? And this goes back to what we're talking about, emotional boundaries, we tend to be the last ones we provide service to. Mm. We put self-care, it's called self-sacrifice, because at the bottom of the pile. We would take care of those that we are serving better than we would take care of ourselves. So when I say repurposing ourselves, part of that discussion is where do I fall in line in my self-care, right? As far as self-care is concerned, I do believe that the school should open up opportunities for the teachers to decompress during the day, right? The schools that I have, they, they were in Georgetown. In the day, during the day, I get to walk around the neighborhood <laughs> and let off some steam. Unfortunately, a lot of teachers don't have that luxury. But we also had a gym. You could go down and work out and something to kind of help you channel or transfer that energy in a more positive way. The running joke in education is where's happy hour, right? Sometimes it's easier to go to happy hour than go to the gym, right? <laughs> or, or to work out. But I also think part of educational policy should include in the business package. We have the flex spending plan put in some pr- provision where people could now channel some of their the financial resources yeah. to more holistic methods. I know like Kaiser is now starting to value preventative alternative medicine as a healthcare. So you could go there, you could get, they have yoga, uh, they have the acupuncture, they, they're, they're now starting to open up to Eastern medicine to fix an internal situation. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, where Western medicine goes wrong, Western medicine teaches us to fix the external condition, to fix the internal internal condition. In reality, you need to fix the internal condition to change the external condition, right? So that's where the transformation needs to take place. And then the next thing is, and I, I run this uh, workshop, teaching teachers how to triage some of these emotional concern, concerns in the classroom. Right. How do you patch that kid up and hold him until somebody like Mr. Harris comes running with his cape on? Right. And 
And it's just really, you don't need a clinical background. Yeah. Uh, but how do you create what I call an emotionally supportive learning environment? And that's what you know we're all trying to to get at. I mean, there's there's so many things that educators can do, and like you named it, the obstacle is that their plates are so overflowing to begin with that even to make the time for themselves. I think the educators we work with are you know so frequently saying it's just that they admit they're they're putting themselves at the end of the line, right? And so, like you said, to be able to even prioritize their own wellness and then to have the techniques. So I think what you've been able to do today, both of you, to name some of these things is like these are the individual practices that we can be taking but it's also to get to the practices there's mindsets first right like you talked about self-love and you talked about being able to bring other people in we talked about what the system has to do so there's all this other work that's kind of the container right for educators even be being able to 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 handle the vicarious trauma in a healthy way and to to move towards restoring themselves and i loved that that frame you used about putting themselves back together to being able to restore themselves because we want educators to be able to do that we also want to reduce this trauma in the first place. So these are all such important ideas that you're sharing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Perry Camp, Mr. Antoine Harris. I love this conversation. I think we talked about doing a part two, so we might be doing a part two later on in the season where we can go deeper into what this is, because I think we need to keep talking about this. And if we're going to have a future of education where teachers are equipped to stay and be there for students, I think everybody needs to be thinking with this trauma-informed lens. I really appreciate you all taking the time, sharing your expertise, sharing your, your good energy with us too. And um, we'll put your information about your organization in the show notes too, Dr. Camp, for those who want to do more trainings and learn more from you as well. So yeah. thank you all so much. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered. That just looks like weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as empowereddc or visit us at weareempowered.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution and we really appreciate your time and energy. Bye.